Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Chad here with Iraq Veteran 8888. And today we have another gun gripe episode for you. We're going to be talking about the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Uh, this is a piece of gun legislation that was rammed through the Senate in a very, very breakneck pace. Literally, the text of this bill was introduced and they were voting on it within hours, right? Over 80 pages of text. Now, we're not going to read through all 80 pages in this particular video, but Chad and I are going to go through a synopsis here and give you an idea of what's going on and try to make some <laughs> some kind of sense of what the heck is happening here. I know. I mean, the the only sense to make is a lot of um, a lot of rhinos just exposed themselves in the uh, Senate, didn't they? 14. Yeah. Eight of which are backed by the NRA with a glowing rating. Which that doesn't really mean anything these days. I mean, we've seen that in the past few years. Apparently, you know? it doesn't mean much. Yeah. It's not really worth the paper it's written on, is it? Nope. <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. But here we are. And uh, no matter what, uh, that's the, the light of the situation that we're sitting under mm -hmm. right now is that it is getting sent back to the House. And Pelosi uh, has already uh, obviously... Uh, sworn quickly to get it over to the president's desk for a signature. Oh yeah, it's not going to have any uh, any issue in the house at all oh, with the majorities that they have, right? Because it has to get sent back to the house, mm -hmm. and of course they they know that's going to be good to go for them. Uh, well, they better hurry. You know, uh, Biden. You know, took a spill off his bike the other day. He, he, he may not remember how to sign his own name anymore. They may want to hurry on that. As I've said before, I, I feel pity for that man, and you know what people are allowing him to continue to do you know yeah. i'm i'm torn over the situation chad because at the same time he is an elderly person you know he, he is an older person that deserves respect you know he has grandchildren he has sons you know he has a family i mean people that love him it is terrible to think that they are taking uh, advantage of that poor man and and what what i've seen you know his mental decline it, it's pretty pretty terrible to see it's, that happen. it's more and more obvious you know even since he was inaugurated and you know, I don't agree with Biden's policies, obviously, you know, right. or anything in the past almost, what, five decades that he's been in, in the uh, government. Yeah. But um, it, it is sad to see, you know, person in that stage of decline. I will say know, there, there, us, there have been quite so. a few tasteless jokes floating around about him falling off the bike. I mean, look, that's no joke. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Anyways, we are going to get yeah. into this. Uh, it, it's just a lot. Of, there's a lot of tragic things going on. And and. This is opening the door to a a very uh, you know disturbing series of events that could unfold if we don't stay on top of this type of stuff. So let's dive into it. All right, now uh, our friends at FPC did a great job of putting together a very very easy synopsis to understand. So I'm going to go ahead and refer to uh, their article that they published, and uh, let's go ahead and break into it, Chad. Start right. us out. All right, in closed door. Senate gun control negotiations and after hours release of text, the United States Senate negotiated and fast-tracked a gun control measure which seeks to chip away at the fundamental rights of the people. The 80-page proposal seeks to chill the right to keep and bear arms by incentivizing local disarmament proceedings, uh, which are red flag laws, of which many states currently employ secret ex parte hearings, massive penalties, and penalty enhancement age discrimination against young adults, and an aggressive attack on peaceable conduct, among other assaults on the right. The bill chills the right to keep and bear arms by enhanced background checks. And we've we've heard of enhanced background checks in the past, right? And, you know, there, there was wording in the House bill that was passed recently about, um, you know, 18 to 21-year-olds being put through a more rigorous background check procedure just because of the you know, decisions of others 
all 18 to 21 year olds have to suffer in this regard, which is, you know, just, it's just sad. You know, I think that it's, it's rather hypocritical that at 18 years old, you can pick up a gun and defend your country, but you know, oh, you have to go through some stringent uh, background check process or enhanced background check process to simply be able to own a gun. All right. You're 18 years old. You're out of the house. You fall in love with a woman. You marry her. Y'all get pregnant. You're living in a home. You have a family to protect. And to think that at 18, you're man enough to live on your own, have a family, pay rent, pay taxes, vote, uh, take on all of these important things in your society. But yet somehow you have to be under some type of special scrutiny in order to arm yourself. No, sir. I ain't, de- I ain't dealing with that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of the enhanced background checks, it is seeking juvenile records for purchasers under 21, requires the engagement of numerous agencies, and will cause delays uh, to access to the right. Uh, up to 10 days mm-hmm. is what is uh, in the bill in the text. Three days is a normal period that the, that the NIC system can uh, deny the sale. Now, it, it's not uncommon knowledge that sometimes – uh, the NICS check might come back five or six days after the fact with a denial, even after the purchaser has already picked up the firearm, in which case uh, there have been situations where the FBI will contact somebody and go, uh, by the way. <laughs> so there is that slight difficulty in the amount of processing time when it comes to the NICS system. This would provide up to 10 days for those under the age of 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, obviously adding seven days from the current three for uh, the NICS uh, to respond for just this one population is unequal treatment under the law based solely on age. And that's a great point on FPC's part. Remember what we said in the last video where we were discussing the House bill about, um, you know, 18 year olds not having a fully developed frontal cortex is what the word on the street was on, on the Democrat side. Uh, but then when you turn the story around, and you say, okay, well, if their cort- frontal cortexes aren't developed enough to own a firearm, then they're obviously not developed enough to vote, which there's been numerous uh, cases for the voting age to be lowered to like 16, yeah. which is just insane. It's just very hypocritical. Oh, but you, yeah. can, you can change your gender at three, though. Of course you can. You know, of course their brains are developed enough to understand what gender they want to be. It's just... We it's won't just go there. But. It's just a party full of <laughs> hypocrites, man. It, mean, really it really is. is. So uh, let's talk about red flag laws, Chad. All right, so... Um, initially on the word on the street was that there was going to be federal level red flag laws, but you know, obviously that wasn't going to gain enough muster to get passed, but allowing the states to enact their own red flag confiscation orders that was able to get these senators on board and get this rammed through the Senate. So this incentivizes local disarmament proceedings, uh, of which many states currently employ secret ex parte hearings, uh, calls for only standards equivalent only to civil court. So it simplifies, basically simplifies the process for obtaining these, these orders. Um, for all the bluster in the measure about protecting due process and the constitutional rights of the subjects of the hearings during the, quote, appropriate phase, it implies that states will still be able to hold secret hearings to deprive the people of their rights. And it entitles the subject to an attorney at the appropriate phase, but it must be at the subject's expense. So, you have a red flag order put against you, and then you have to pay to defend yourself against it with no uh, no way to earn that money back. And what if you can't afford it? Is the state going to appoint an attorney for you to defend yourself in these proceedings? Uh, it's, it's just a problem with due process because in these cases, you're guilty until proven innocent. So, And we've talked about the dangers of these opening up the floodgates for even more restrictive orders in the future. 
there are a lot of very scary things to consider with this. And, uh, you know, it's it's not an unknown type of thing that Chad and I have, have obviously been against red flag laws for a long time uh, because we know that, you know, giving them the key to the Pandora's box is a very terrible idea, especially when it's done with so much ambiguity as this is, right? If they can, you know, have secret hearings and stuff, you have the right to face your accuser. So here's the thing. Someone shows up to your door at three o'clock in the morning and says, we have a red flag confiscation order. Give up your guns or we're going to shoot your dog and murder all of you. Well, are you being charged with a crime? Are you being detained? Are you going to jail? So what do the guns have to do with anything? If you've committed a crime, you've committed a crime. If you haven't, you haven't. The burden of proof to prove that you are guilty is on the state. Now, is it my burden to, pr to prove I'm innocent or their burden to prove I'm guilty? As far as I know, according to the law, I'm innocent until proven guilty. Am I being charged with a crime? That I mean, I that's a valid question. All right. Say that you go, hey, look, all right, I don't want no trouble, guys. Here's the guns. I'll see you in court. What are they going to do with your guns? What in the heck is going on? <laughs> look at that. It was like divine intervention just now. We're going to leave that in. <laughs> all right. So what happens when you give up the guns? What are they going to do with them? Are they going to take them out and play with them? Are they going to take your grandpa's rare browning that ain't got a spot on it in 99% condition and throw it in a, in a, in a storeroom in, in a, in an unceremonious pile and getting everything scratched up and getting rust all over it? I mean, how are they going to store this stuff? Do they have the capacity to store it? Are they going to handle your stuff with care? Are they going to give you a detailed inventory, including make, model, and serial number of disposition of every single thing that you gave them to take into their custody are you gonna what about nfa items all right they can't be in possession of those nfa items what if you own a hundred suppressors what then who takes possession of those so there's all these weird little intricacies well, that, that they're not point, considering at that point they become evidence man like and it just goes in because military and law enforcement's exempt from that stuff right you know that. but what happens right when you know how many times that Say, for instance, you are involved in a legal shooting and your your sidearm winds up in some evidence locker for some undisclosed period of time. And let's say it winds up being years later. There's actually been tons of cases where people had go, hey, um, I'm cool. I'm off the hook like it was a legal shooting. Can I have my gun back? Oh, we lost that. Or, oh, we thought you'd never get it. Oh, we destroyed it. Or, or we auctioned it off. There's, there's been tons of cases where firearms that are held in evidence are misappropriated and misplaced and mishandled. And in general, there's been many situations where gun owners, even when involved in a perfectly legal situation, don't even get their guns back. Look at what happened during Katrina. They went around and they, they rounded up guns from people. You know, now that actually pushed at the time, I think Bush was still in office. Bush actually put through a federal bill, uh, after the fact. Now you'll have to, I apologize. I don't remember the exact language and verbiage of that bill, but essentially just a super penny tour version is that he passed a bill that, uh, made it to where if your firearms are see, or actually makes it to where jurisdictions cannot seize your firearms in a time of natural disaster. So they realized, hey, this was a terrible idea. I think the mayor gave the mm -hmm. order, and of course, National Guard carried it out. 
but then later Bush did sign a bill saying, hey, you can't do that crap well, anymore. Well, it was a clear infringement at it that point. It was a clear infringement. So if rounding up someone's guns for their own safety during Katrina is uh, somehow unscrupulous and unlawful for them to do or unconstitutional, how mm. is this not? Especially when you can't even face your accuser. So, look, one, one thing to think about is, all right, the gun laws that are on the books currently, did they really do a whole lot to curb crime? I mean, we can look at FBI crime statistics and we can see more gun laws don't really equal, you know, a, a, a better situation overall. It's just infringing on the right of law-abiding citizens, correct? So what about red flag laws? All right. You look at the FBI and local authorities in many cases in the past several years, they've known about these individuals who have committed these atrocities well beforehand. They've been reported to local authorities. They've been reported to the FBI. The FBI has been aware of social media postings. And there's evidence to support this that's been been put out recently. So regardless of whether there were red flag confiscation orders, were they carried out? Would they The Patriot really? Act already gives them the ability to do Absolutely. a heck of a lot of spying on Absolutely. people, right? So it's not like, okay, for one thing, why would the Patriot Act or being there or not being there or not even have anything to do with whether or not they yeah. would want to carry this stuff? So, They're going to do it anyway. So look, right? We we've already seen how many times these alphabet agencies clearly don't care about what mm-hmm. what the rules are. Look at them collecting all this data on forty four seventy threes, which we're going to get into that here in a moment. That's mm-hmm. the next item in, in uh, of question. But but the you thing, know how, how do you know? know? Like they're not even following the the, the rules anyway. I know. But what does my, it matter? My 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 thought process with this is. They they have the tools at their disposal to stop some of these individuals before they have a chance to do these heinous things, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not following through on what their job should be initially. So whether there's a red flag law in place, are they going to just follow through on the on the actual cases that really matter, or are they just going to infringe on law-abiding people? It you know, almost like it almost has the the kind of vibe, right, that it's almost like they would rather go, okay, this person might do something stupid, and what, the people at the FBI say, you know what, let's just see what how this how this pans out, and then what, is that to say that there's some politically motivated reason that they might go, you know what, we're going to let this sicko slip through the cracks because it, it, it pushes a narrative that we support, which yeah. would be, hey, we want more gun control, and the only way we're going to get it is if people do terrible things with guns. So if they're not stopping the people that they know are going to commit evil, and if the police didn't go in and, and, and deal with the shooter in Uvalde, mm-hmm. which there's all kind of evidence coming out about that. Yep. So <laughs> whose side are they really on? I know. Are they fighting for us? They're, you know, it's just that's the questions people need to be asking themselves. Like, what do these laws even mean? At the end of the day, really, it's just to have an excuse for them to further infringe on our rights and to weaponize this entire um, administrative system mm-hmm. against people that well, they don't agree with politically. So, look, just remember, this can be syno- or this can be um, put into one easy synopsis. All right, the police are not there to serve and protect. That is a complete farce that's printed on just about every police car in the country. Yeah. They are that that's a complete farce. They are not obligated to protect you. Now they're obligated to serve you. They'll come to your house with papers. They'll come yeah, to yeah. your house with red flag confiscation orders and take your yeah, guns. Yeah, they'll away. serve you red flag laws, yes. won't they? But anyways. you know, there are a lot of good policemen out there. There are. And and look, we know a lot of them and and there's people watching my channel right now that are wearing a badge and that they know, man, you know, I'm going to tell them no or I'm going to do this or do that. Like my local sheriff here is a stand-up oh, yeah. guy. 
he ain't going to deal with that. Our local DA is such a great person. Like, we've got great people down here that ain't going to put up with that crap. But that's not the They're case They're going to highly scrutinize yeah. the process, if at all, right? But there are jurisdictions where they would happily weaponize this system against people that own guns just by virtue of going, well, you know what? If we have an opportunity to get the guns, we're going to take the guns. Look at all the, um, look at when the gun debate strikes back up again and look at all the police chiefs and sheriffs that come out on the pro gun side, but also look at the ones that come out mm-hmm. from like inner cities and things on yep. the anti gun side of things. Police yeah. are a microcosm of society, just like anything uh-huh. else. And just like you have pro gun people, you have anti gun people. And the same can be said for those who serve in government. Even I guarantee you there's some FBI agent or ATF agent watching our videos right now. That's going, I'm one of the good ones, man. I feel slighted. Well, look, I know there's some good people out there. I mean, look at our IOI. She's Mm -hmm. awesome, right? Like, there are good people out there that are trying to do the right thing. So it's not fair to cast such a large blanket over the situation. You have to understand that the government is a microcosm of society, and society is diverse. And that diverse society, yeah, is going to have some opposing views. Now, many of us, I'm one of them, I strongly believe the majority of them hate us. But there's always that little glimmer of hope that maybe there are some people that are principled and trying to do the right thing. Well, if we keep going down this road with bills like this, just the constant chipping away of our rights, this was not a compromise at all. They say bipartisan compromise. We did not get anything in return on the pro-gun side. This is all anti-gun legislation that's, that's coming right. down. So at what point you know, are we going to be without the ability to defend ourselves and have to rely on the police, which mm-hmm. aren't going to be there to serve and protect? Right. So well, I don't want to get to that point, and that's why you know we make these videos, right? Oh yeah, so. and I I think it's clear to say that you know we've we've covered the red flag stuff. It's a very bad idea. Uh, you know they're trying to do away with the boyfriend loophole and all this nonsense. Um, there's going to be a series of links in the description box below. I'm going to include the FPC link. Also, um, Eric Pratt made some great statements mm-hmm. yesterday. I'm going to put some links to those in the description box below to the GOA website. Uh, so GOA, FPC, also our friend uh, Stephen Gutowski, um over at TheReload.com. Uh, he, he does a lot of gun writing. He gave a great synopsis of everything that's going on and also uh, put forth some really great opinions in that article. So I will link Stephen's article uh, as well down below. But uh, I digress. We're going to continue. So private sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it expands the definition of engaged in the business by striking with the principal objective of livelihood and profit in the current definition and replacing it with to predominantly earn a profit. This confusion could lead to a new and successful prosecutions of private sellers who may fall under the broad and vague definition of engaged in business and therefore need to be licensed. Always with the ambiguity. Of course. Now, with that ambiguity, we're going to refer, for the first time in this video, directly to the document itself, which is over 80 pages on page 32 in the discussion draft. Uh, If we go down to block number 6, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and fill us in on All that? All right. So the term to predominantly earn a profit means that <clears throat> means that the intent underlying the sale or disposition of firearms is predominantly one of obtaining pecuniary gain, as opposed to other intents such as improving or liquidating a personal firearms collection. This is ridiculous. It is. Yeah, I mean, we could go on, but there's a lot of instances they give essentially the the very bare bones basic synopsis that we can gather with this at our, our level of understanding at the present moment based on what we see is that if 
Grandpa Herschel passes away and leaves you 200 guns, you don't need an FFL to liquidate your collection. Okay. Now, if you're the kind of person that maybe you have some spare money and you go around and you go to gun shops and go, oh, cool, that's a great deal. I can sell this and make some money on it. If you're doing that on a regular basis, they probably want you to have an FFL. But listen, to be clear, that's been that way all along. This does been. not change anything in terms of the requirements for what it takes to get an FFL or not has been in the past, right? So this isn't really anything new. They kind of reworded it, but at the end of the day, it's kind of really just the same thing, isn't I think, it? I think they reworded it uh, in order to give a little bit more jurisdiction in, in this realm. Um, that way they could pull more individuals who are sort of in the business uh, of – selling and you know and making a profit off firearms in order to you know get them to uh, have an FFL and at that point you got background checks right yeah. you've got a paperwork trail this of all is, those firearms. this is leading to national like background checks like well, yeah, uh, universal you know, expanded background checks. universal background yeah. checks because if everybody that sold guns in any sort of quantity had to have an FFL and if we know that the ATF is maintaining records in a database. They can call it whatever they want, but it's a dang database, mm -hmm. which they are not allowed to do. They're not supposed to do it, but we know the ATF is collecting a database of records. Now you have more people that have an FFL. You got more records. All right. Then you got a database. All right. What, what happens one day when they say, you know what? We're getting tired of this. We want to go collect all the guns. Now, obviously, here's the thing. We have to break down... What could happen right now? Is, is that what they're going to do? Maybe not. Who knows? But do you really trust what their intentions are? And you have to remember, at the end of the day, this all comes down to trust. A lot of people have lost trust in these people. This isn't about whether or not these measures at their very, very tiny core level, if carried out by principled people, if carried out by you know people who respect the Constitution and people who are very scrutinizing of manipulative people who are trying to take advantage of an obvious loophole in the law to get someone's guns taken away, if all of those checks were made 110%, yeah, there might be situations where those laws at their very core level might have some basic use for very, very principled people who are in a very terrible situation. But we all know that that's not what this all ends up happening, right? What, what it winds up being. We're concerned at the abuse of these situations. You're giving them the keys to Pandora's box, right? Because part of this says a policeman who thinks that someone is a danger could go to a red flag court and have your guns taken away. So what does that mean, right? If a police officer just goes, well, that old Randy over there has always been a jerk, and every time, you know, I see him in town, I don't like him, and you know what, I just don't like him, and now that this is a law, I'm just going to say he's a, a dangerous person so that we can have an excuse to go mess with him. How do you know that they're not going to abuse this against people that they don't like? How do you know that an entire jurisdiction of police officers are overwhelmingly anti-gun the courts are overwhelmingly anti-gun and how do you know that they're not just going to weaponize that to go after people within their community that they don't like it has nothing to do with if someone's committed a crime or not if they're dangerous or not the problem is they're going to weaponize this against people that they don't like and that's the danger that's where we have the major issue with this it's never just face value it's never just somebody saying well, it's just so we can use it for this one little purpose and we're going to respect due process and blah, blah, blah. No, you're not. It is a political weapon to be wielded by a political opposition. That is exactly what it's for. Mm -hmm. All right. So new misdemeanor firearms prohibitions. 
by expanding the definition of a prohibiting misdemeanor domestic violence in such a vague, broad, and subjective way, it invites confusion and potential firearms prohibitions. Um, we're not going to necessarily dive too much into this particular one, uh, but that kind of goes back to where they're talking about if you're under the age of 21, they're going to like search for juvenile records. They're going to search for all of this type of stuff. And there's some other things in the bill where they discuss, like if you have a partner you were intimate with in the past and they were a prohibited person, that it's going to make you a prohibited person. I mean, I have no idea how in the heck they're supposed to enforce that. What are they going to do? Go back through everybody's social media and do a whole bunch of detail checking and go, oh, you were with Ashley eight years ago, and guess what? She was a felon, and you're a gun owner, so that makes you a felon. I mean, the ambiguity and the ability for them to abuse this is endless. That's the problem. Basically, they're just they're enhancing the number of people that they can deny a firearms purchase to, more or less. Right. I mean, that's the ultimate end goal in this. It's just to deny more people the right to own a firearm, more or less. This is some scary. the The red flag language is really what bothers me the most, mm-hmm. Chad, uh, because I know what the abuses are going to be, and uh, we know that it puts not only civilians in danger but also law enforcement. And the data out there for how these red flag confiscation orders are carried out and what they result in is pretty telling, right? There's been plenty of civilians killed. There's been some law enforcement killed over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are dying on both sides. And it's just generally a bad idea. Anybody who has experience in law enforcement will tell you that it's a terrible practice. And I hope that it'll wind up being one of those types of things where by them passing the buck down to the states and then letting the state the states decide how to use this funding and whether or not they want to enact red flag laws in their state or not, I do think it's smart that they're leaving it up to the states, which really there was nothing stopping the states from having red flag confiscation orders already. Mm-hmm. Uh, states could have voted on this a long time ago. They could have had them for as long as they wanted to have them up until now. But now what this does is it incentivizes them and gives them more funding to go, oh, we love government money. We love federal money. Yeah, we'll we'll carry out your red flag confiscations. Just cut the check, Jack. So they still <laughs> the states would still have to, you know, apply, apply red flag laws through the legislative process anyways. But this does, like you said, incentivize them because it's basically free money for the states to enact these programs if maybe that was a hurdle in the past. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can see this being sort of a non-issue for certain states because there's likely no chance of some states having red flag laws. But the way the political sphere has been, you know, moving around the past decade or so, it's not to say that in Georgia, you know, maybe the tide would change and there'd be, um, you know, a majority Democratic House and Senate here and we wind up with red flag laws in the next decade or something if we keep going down this path. So it is kind of a scary precedent. Um, but at the end of the day, the states with red flag laws are going to continue to enforce them how they see fit, you know, and just infringing on the rights of normal people, normal everyday people, because we're going to get wrapped up in it one way or the other, you know. I think it goes without saying that this election this year is going to be interesting. Oh, you know, that's another point. It's an election year, and for these senators to come out of the woodwork and agree to this egregious piece of legislation, I, I know most that of them are retiring. I know most of them are retiring, and a lot of them are in more moderate districts and such. But you know, it's still very surprising that 
you know, there's all this talk of a red wave. And look, we've been through this before. We know that just having, you know, Republicans or conservatives, so-called conservatives in Congress, in the Senate, and in the White House doesn't mean that gun owners are going to get jack crap. Obviously. Obviously. Look what just happened. I mean, we had control of the ship, right? And then nothing got done to enhance our rights like we asked for for so long. And then now an anti-gun piece of legislation gets on the table, and 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 they're going to go to bat for that, but they won't go to bat for anything good for us. And that's a problem. We have to to fix that. I hate to be such a pessimist with this, but you know we we work hard to contact our reps and put people in that we believe will do right for the Second Amendment. But at the end of the day, the past 30 years almost, it seems like the Republicans have just been keeping gun legislation out of the pipeline for the most part when they're in power. So we just get a little bit of a lull. We don't really ever gain anything back. And we've been gaining some things back in the courts for sure. But I want to see some progress being made in the legislative side of things. I want to see, you know, rights restored instead of continually being chipped away because we know where, you know, that ends. You take a big stone and you start chipping it away piece by piece. You're going to wind up with pebbles at the end or nothing dust. That's right. So, well, the problem is, is that incrementalism will never bring back what incrementalism took. Absolutely not. And and that is the issue, right? That chipping away is a very, very terrible thing that we have to be careful about, right? Now, at its core, this piece of legislation, is it really that terrible? Yeah, it's pretty terrible. This is probably one of the worst pieces of gun legislation to pass in the last 30 years or more. So, now, if it would have had assault weapons ban language, magazine restrictions, things like that in there, would it have had the support of all these Republican senators? Likely not. So mm. this is just little tiny piece of the puzzle. Oh, you better you believe know? the next one's going to have that in it, though. Likely. So now that they know these weak-kneed Republicans will uh, you know, acquiesce to their requests and just be the lap dogs they want them to be, they're going to go, well, the next time around we'll especially, get what we want. Especially those who aren't running again. You know, yeah. I mean, what damage can they do if they get this you know, more in during this session? That's scary indeed. It is. We'll put all the links uh, to these articles in the description box below. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, This is pretty terrible. Uh, It's a black eye, but you know what? We can move past it. Listen, it's more important now than ever to get involved in your local state Mm -hmm. uh, affairs and what's going on, right? If your state doesn't have red flag laws, you need to make sure you're contacting all your state representatives and telling them, we do not want red flag laws. Tell the feds they can keep their filthy money, right? We don't want your dang money. We want our freedom. And it's very important that the states maintain their principles and not enact red flag laws. So now it's up to the states and all these various state battles, just like the battles for uh, carry reciprocity, right? Constitutional carry. Uh, You know, Georgia was the 25th state to pass constitutional carry. Hurrah. That's great. But now, especially here in Georgia, we have to fight hard to make sure uh, that the legislature understands that we do not want red flag laws in our state. And uh, right now, it's up to the states. So that's where the battle is being shifted to. Um, we're going to fight it tooth and nail. That's what we're going to do. Uh, join GOA. We'd love to have your support here in Georgia. Also, our guys at FPC doing wonderful work. Uh, definitely don't want to disclude them. Uh, I love their synopsis here. Um, all these folks are doing such wonderful work and, uh, we appreciate the support. Have yourselves a great day. Many more videos on the way. Chad and I have been traveling and we got a lot of stuff going on and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a very hectic month for us. Uh, but I promise we're putting out content as readily, uh, and, and efficiently as we possibly can. And I really appreciate all the support from you.
So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm about taking that. I know <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks, man. So, uh, those of you who are still here, we just brought home our fourth child. So that's why I'm, you know, like, man, Chad looks tired. Yeah, yeah, we're tired. Yeah, where's Chad been? He's been taking uh, care of that baby. baby. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Many more on the way. We'll see you soon.